Congratulations, you're listening to Podcast Rebellion. Welcome to Podcast Rebellion, everybody. This is Juku All-American, joined as always by Whiskey Wednesday. Uh, at the beginning of our call, we usually talk about what we're drinking, but it's 11.40 in the morning on Monday morning, and I'm not drinking anything because I'm not an alcoholic. At least I tell myself that. Uh, and But I will talk about what I had last night, which was uh, a friend of ours who lives in Indiana was in town in Austin and brought an Indiana distilled rye whiskey called Hard Truth, which is 100 proof. Uh, and it was great. It, I made a Manhattan, or excuse me, <laughs> I made an old fashioned with it, uh, and I enjoyed it greatly. I think that um, when I had it straight, it was also good, but uh, not as good as some other maybe bourbons. And some of that could just be used to the fact that I'm more used to bourbons than I am a rye whiskey. Uh, but there was sort of a a corn taste, um, which sounds bad, but actually was quite tasty. Um, it just, you know, not quite in line with some of the other things I, I typically have on the rocks. So, yeah, it was good. I'm, I'm very pleased. Yeah. Um, so I went to a watch party with some some oldest friends who were local to me. We went to, to school together, so it's good to hang out with them. They made uh, steak tacos and, you know, a bunch of kind of Latin stuff. So I decided to bring a, like a rum punch. I wanted something that was kind of Caribbean feeling. Um, and it ended up being really good. I think I might write a post about it because I feel like it's, it's a very appropriate fall drink. So um, look for some, you know, non-sports content to uh, come your way uh, about something you could maybe make for a, a game this fall. You feel like it would be a good Grove drink as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think it could actually be a cold or a hot thing. Like it could be like a hot toddy kind of thing. Mm. Uh, it had a lot of like clove and cinnamon. So, uh, but it was really refreshing too. So, yeah. I remember like uh, towards the end of the season, you're sort of looking for like, what can I, <laughs> what can I drink that will warm me up? And like, you know, the Irish coffee approach only, only lasts for a while. You only want to have so much coffee. Uh, okay, well, Ole Miss played a game against Central Arkansas, the Central Arkansas Bears. I guess we're the Ole Miss Black Bears, or maybe not, when were we? Um, but uh, yeah, it, Ole Miss won 59-3, to super easy game. Uh, the special teams kind of went wild uh, early on, which made it so it was never at all a game. Uh, Ole Miss blocked a punt and also recovered a muffed punt and returned it for a touchdown, both in the first quarter. Um, so yeah, not especially interesting, but I do think that there were you know a number of takeaways. We're not going to spend as long on Central Arkansas as we typically would on a post game, but um, there's there's stuff worth talking about. So first of all, let's talk about quarterbacks. And um, Luke Altmaier started the game, of course. I think that in the first quarter he looked exactly what we were were expecting from him in that he took what was there managed the team well uh you know was efficient and put the ball in the hands of playmakers and let them make plays and they did and it was really good um he started the game six of seven and uh but then he was seemingly injured uh early in the second quarter and 
uh, ended up into the, the game six of 13. So he started six of seven, ended six of 13, which is obviously not good. Uh, but I think that once that seeming injury happened, when he started to favor his shoulder after every throw, uh, that's when, it, when things sort of fell apart for him a bit. But I don't think that it was all just on the shoulder. Uh, first of all, I, I want you to talk a little bit about Luke Altmaier before I kind of talk about uh, what I maybe noticed before we transition into Jackson Dart. Absolutely. Yeah, with the first couple of Altmaier series in the game, uh, it made me think that we were going to have a much more complicated quarterback competition because he looked really decisive. Um, he, like you said, he took what was in front of him. He made a couple of nice throws downfield. There's an early throw to John Mingo that, uh, wasn't great. It, it led to an, an absolute circus catch because the cornerback was kind of face guarding, uh, and Mingo ended up catching the ball sort of off of the defender's back. Uh, pretty incredible, but it still was like a, a pretty good throw, um, hitting, you know, Mingo in stride. And he made a couple other nice plays as well made a couple of kind of red zone touchdown plays to Michael Trigg um, that, you know, required some athleticism. And, and then he also had a pretty nice rushing touchdown early as well. So he was really moving the offense and really scoring and, you know, looking good and, and had me really thinking about whether he could work for the whole season. But yeah, um, after an apparent shoulder injury kind of caused by, a botched snap that he had to recover and then run with. Uh, he was kind of taken to the ground by two guys. And after that, he didn't look the same. And to what extent it was the shoulder, we really don't know because he, he clearly wanted to stay in the game. But um, yeah, un- unfortunate good start that that regressed from there. Yeah, I, but uh, the point I'm going to make before, Jackson, before we talk about Jackson Dart is that I actually think that Suddenly, Luke Altmaier started to take chances in ways that he should not. Uh, you know, he scrambled towards the end zone, uh, scrambled left, maybe was looking to run, but then did like a weird flip pass attempt to Chad or Chad Kelly, uh, Casey Kelly, that was almost intercepted uh, by Central Arkansas. And then, you know, later he had the pick that was just staring straight at him uh, and and throw. It, it's a Tough throw. It was an out route to the opposite side of the field. Uh, but Central Arkansas just, I mean, it wasn't like a, it almost was a completion or something. It was definitely a pick. Uh, yeah. And, was, and clearly that. Yeah. It was I, on I par. Will... Sorry, I wanted to compare it. It was kind of on par to the interception that Jackson Dart threw in game one. Just yeah. really telegraphed, really lack of situational awareness. Yeah. Um, and so the. When Jackson Dart came in, uh, I guess like reports from from media who were in the press box uh, and on Twitter as well um, were that uh, somehow the message came from the team or the coaches got a message to the media in the press box that uh, Altmaier was pulled for the pick, um, which seemed kind of counter to the way that Kiffin often goes um, or approaches his quarterbacks. Uh, I I wonder if what actually happened is that, so so they were trying to say like, it was not injury related as in like 
Luke Altmaier is not injured, quote unquote, uh, you know, not like in a expected to miss weeks kind of thing. I wonder if what happened was the message was really he wasn't pulled because he can't play anymore. He was pulled because we sort of noticed that even though he can play, he doesn't look like he needs to look uh, for it to make sense. And Kiffin sort of talked about that in the press conference afterwards. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, Altmaier is not injured. He just, or, or the, I guess doctors cleared Altmaier to continue playing, but they just didn't feel like that was a good decision to to have him continue playing. So I think there's maybe a mixed message weirdness about interception being the reason and all that sort of stuff. Um, but Jackson Dart, so Jackson Dart came in and, uh, you know, was, was very successful. He uh, led the team down the, the field a lot, uh, went deep a ton. He was finished the season, finished the game 10 for 15, 182 and two touchdowns. Uh, I still think that he's got to be able to see when, when he should take a check down. He was launching them, man. He was just looking to to go deep so much. And there'd be a guy, you know, open for an easy first down. And instead he would throw uh, into double coverage, maybe with a guy, maybe with the receiver having beaten his man and everything. But like, sometimes you just have to take it and keep going. Yeah, I agree. I think his overall performance was was better. Um, and his deep ball was, was looking a little more calibrated. Um, yeah. than it was against Troy, but, but yeah, you're right. He needs to figure out how to just carve up defenses. And I think he has every tool to do that. And our, our offense sets up well for that too. So he's just got to do it. Yeah. And some of it also could be, I, I don't know if this is because Lebby is gone and has been replaced by Charlie Weiss Jr. Or if this is just, we're playing central Arkansas and Troy, but the play calling is not as much like nifty ways to get to scheme people open and that sort of stuff as much as it is like vanilla calls that, you know, oh, hey, throw it deep because there's a guy who's running deep and only has a guy only has one on him or something like that. Um, we're not seeing the like other than in red zone situations, we're not seeing uh, guys that we use like basically pick plays and that sort of stuff to be able to get people open in space on slants and that sort of stuff. Um, and I guess we'll see Georgia tech will prove a better opponent and we might have more of a need to pull out some things like that and get them on film. But uh, let's talk about the receivers. Um, and we're not going to go through all of them like we typically do, but Michael Trigg had three receiving touchdowns, which was pretty cool. Uh, I think that it it's clear that the Michael Trigg, will he start, won't he start preseason thing was kind of a smokescreen and that he is a major, major component of the offense, especially in the red zone. That is really interesting. I, I felt certain that Casey Kelly was going to play a lot and that hasn't been the case. And I don't know if that could change, but I think Trigg has shown that he's willing to block and has obviously just shown that he can create some offense out of nothing at times. And I think that's, that's kind of valuable to a team that's trying to find its, its legs in the passing game. Yeah. There was one play when um, Casey Kelly got blown up by an end. Uh, it was not entirely his fault. 
he should have had tackle help, uh, but he got really abused by a Central Arkansas defensive end in the blocking game and gave up a, a huge sack, uh, which he has to have been kicking himself for based on the way that playing time is kind of working out. Uh, you know, you don't want to have to play yourself out of opportunities like that. Yeah, you could you could tell in game that he was really disappointed with with that play. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope he gets more opportunities. I mean, he's he is a good player. We know that, and and there's room for two tight ends in this offense. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next receiver, um, Malik Heath had a set, a touchdown again, which is you know he's played in two games at Ole Miss. He has two touchdowns. Uh, I guess I am more surprised that. I had in my head that he was coming to Ole Miss to be sort of an air it out deep kind of guy. Uh, that hasn't really been his role in the offense. Uh, he's been sort of running quick slants and uh, getting tough yardage and all that. And then in the red zone, he is uh, our primary receiver threat. Uh, obviously Michael Trigg is a primary receiving threat, but um, yeah, I, I with as much as attention as was paid to the whole, like Mike Leach's offense is dink and dunk, get you down the field. And that doesn't play to Malik Keith's strengths. That's how we're seeing him be used right now. Yeah. And he looks solid. Like we definitely could have used him a lot last year. And I think his, his role in the offense is likely to, you know, continue to grow. I I think at some point we're going to see some, some deep looks from him, but yeah, to your to your point, um, John Mingo has seemingly taken a lot more deep routes, and then a couple of the smaller guys have as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if we try to chuck it deep to Malik Heath, who has a you know really big frame. Yeah, and Mingo became the first Ole Miss receiver to top the 100 yard mark this season, primarily off of two miraculous catches. Uh, one that you mentioned from. Um, Altmeyer that basically hit his defender in the back, but he still caught it over his defender around his back. And then the other was a, a throw from a dart deep pass down the middle that he one-handed grabbed. Uh, yeah. Maybe this is the season when Jackson, when Jackson dart, maybe this is the season when Jonathan Mingo is really that like unstoppable kind of force. Yeah. He, he certainly looks like a really, really good receiver. I, need to see it against sec teams. right right yeah. right <laughs> yeah uh okay and then the running game <laughs> i tweeted about this but uh it sure is easy to find yourself falling into too much trap too many traps around like players dominating fcs opponents but man quinchon judkins just would not go down and you know time and again would shake tackles make great cuts and you know churn out yardage i i was surprised uh again by him yeah he's really campaigning for kind of a 50 50 split with evans and he may have earned it uh, at this point he looks yeah just his balance his ability to push defenders back i mean he's plenty quick just hates getting tackled uh mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it'll be really hard to keep him off the field yeah 10 carries for 104 yards pretty solid Zach, 
Zach Evans, uh, 11 carries for 53 and a touchdown. Uh, I guess I'm... I don't want to overstate this because I still think that Zach Evans is super good. I'm a little bit surprised that in these first two games, he didn't just dominate uh, against Troy and Central Arkansas. He, It's not that he was bottled up. I mean, his production has still been quite solid, but I expected like at least one run per game that was just like, oh, this is silly. These These players shouldn't be on the field with Zach Evans. And that hasn't really been the case. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I, I think he has more left in the tank. I, I think he I can see him being a guy who is a big gamer. Um, when, sure. Yeah, in against bigger opponents. So so we'll get to see that pretty soon. Yeah, uh, we saw a few more carries from Ulysses Bentley. He had four this week after only two last week. Four for forty three and a touchdown. Uh, he's probably pissed off that. He transferred to Ole Miss after being the starter at SMU and has six carries through two games. Yeah, I would I would say that. I mean, only so much you can do when a freshman like Judkins comes in. But right, yeah, I would think we got to find some way to get him on the field more, whether it's uh, a two back set or just I don't know. But but yeah, he's he's good. I don't think there's much reason to keep him off the field other than two good running backs, but you know, you need playmakers on offense and we're, we're still kind of looking for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's some opportunity in the slot or something like that, but it's also probably just good to have a third string running back who is quite good. And, you know, when you have another running back who inevitably gets dinged up, you have somebody who can come in and not be a problem. Um, so I think, uh, I don't have specific notes on, offensive linemen um but the offensive line is not especially good this year um and i don't expect that to change when we start to see better defenses i think that it's going to be a problem it's hard for me to say i i think they do have enough new starters where you can expect some additional cohesion to to build up throughout the season but but yeah, it's it's a big worry right now because um, we're not we're not facing defenders who are going to be drafted in the NFL so far, really. No, and it's not like the off the defensive lines are abusing them, but they're also not abusing the defensive lines, uh, and way too much pressure is getting through, especially in passing downs. Yeah. you know, with with quarterbacks who can't afford to be pressured very much. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a problem. We'll see how, you know, coaches and, and players adapt. But yeah, definite problem. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the defense, and uh, we don't we don't have to spend a ton of time here. Uh, they dominated Central Arkansas, held them to 235 yards of offense, 4.2 yards per pass attempt. Not not pass completion, but pass attempt, uh, and 2.6 yards per carry. And Central Arkansas, actually, um, Darius Hale is their uh, starting running back. And as a true freshman last year, he rushed for over 1,000 yards. So if they were going to make something work at all, it was through him. And it didn't. He had 15 carries for 46 yards, which was 3.1 per carry. Um, Yeah, it was uh, nice to see that the defense just continued to, to roll and dominate. 
Yeah, I, I think the the defense, honestly, it was a situation where it's hard for the defense to just continue that level of domination play by play for four quarters, but they definitely had the talent to do so. And I think against bigger opponents where there's more on the line, I think the defense will continue to step up. So I think we'll we'll see more from them as the season bears on. I think the defense is going to straight up win us some of these close games where the offense is is struggling. Uh, it'll be fun to see if that that comes to uh, fruition. But that's that's kind of my my prediction at this point. Yeah, and obviously we'll need to see. I mean, I, we, we'll say this every single time, but we'll need to see what things look like after when we're not playing FCS opponents or Troy. Uh, but the concern around linebacker heading into the season so far has not been warranted. Uh, Troy Brown is all over the field, leads the team in tackles. Um, and Kari Coleman is like involved in every big play. <laughs> so yeah, those, those two seem to be doing well so far. Uh, Taiwan Malone had five tackles in the game. So that was cool. Uh, you know, Taiwan Malone was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school and Barely played as a freshman. He had an injury. Uh, he had one sack in a FCS st- type of game. I don't remember who we played, but some trash opponent. Um, but yeah, this game, we actually saw him a good bit, uh, and it was nice to see that. Obviously, he is sitting behind J.J. Pekis and Katie Hill, so that's tough. But he played some end, I think, uh, in this game as well, and uh, you know may carve out time splitting those a bit in some situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's hard for a defensive tackle or end to, to have that kind of impact and not even start. Um, so yeah, maybe he's you know really looking to, to prove something this year and to, to earn some more snaps. He's, he's definitely got a lot of talent and a lot of athleticism for his size. So, Yeah. Uh, okay, special teams, we already talked about the uh, the first quarter, but it's also nice to see the uh, two uh, two field goals that were no doubters uh, from Jonathan Cruz. Of course, that's kind of what we expect. And then uh, overall, the team was eight for eight on extra points, which is nice. Uh, and Fraser Mason, the punter, uh, had a 45-yard per punt average, which is perfectly fine. Uh, yeah, just, you know, we notice when special teams are a problem, but they were they were not a problem, and they were actually pretty good. So who is your player of the game against Central Arkansas? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think, yeah, man. I should have thought about this further in advance. I think you probably say Michael Trigg. I think he made a couple of plays early in the game that, you know, contributed to it getting out of hand quickly. Yeah, so I think that's very reasonable. Mine is actually Quinshawn Judkins. Um, I, I guess, like, the player of the game is typically tied to, like, which player made the most, most difference in our ability to win or something like that. Uh, and then maybe it's Trigg because he had three touchdowns and that sort of stuff. But like, he also had, uh, you know, five catches for 28 yards and three touchdowns. Um, 
they sort of happened to give him the ball a lot in the in the red zone, which is great. But Judkins was just killing folks out there. Um, we've already talked about it, but uh, yeah, I, I think he made a huge difference. And then I guess your answer would still be the same, but uh, I also pose the question of who's the transfer of the game, and I think it's got to be Michael Trigg. So that's we're pretty united there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to pick another guy, Ladarius Tennyson also had a huge game. Um, he was responsible for the the scoop and score on the the punt and had a couple other big plays as well. So he's worthy of mention. And then uh, Kari Coleman as well, just living in the backfield. So a lot of good options there. Yeah, Tennyson. I don't remember this many field this many fumbles. So I don't see how. That makes sense, but I guess they did fumble four times. Uh, Tennyson was actually credited with two fumble recoveries, and DeMarco Williams was credited with two as well hmm. in the game. Uh, so yeah, fun stuff. Um, I guess maybe a blocked punt somehow typic- technically counts as a fumble or something like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, moving on. I-, I think that my biggest prize coming out of this game, and really the first two games, is... I'm a little surprised we didn't see more players play. And maybe, I mean, we saw a ton of players play because the fourth quarter existed and it was a million to zero. But um, I'm surprised that the rotations are not a little deeper when the game is still maybe not in doubt, but kind of like worth paying attention to. I would agree with that, but I think I can explain it. Our... Overall execution has been poor in mm-hmm. a lot of areas. And I think Kiffin is just looking for consistency, is just looking for confidence in mm-hmm. his starting group. And uh, on defense, I, I think you can make a bigger argument that we should be rotating it more. But I think we also are rotating a little more on defense. Uh, I think it's just maybe a little harder to notice when that's happening. But yeah, I, I think he just wants the offense to like feel confident and to look like they know what they're doing. And there's there's definitely been issues with that when the play is anything other than, you know, Judkins ramming the ball into the defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I would think that you would want to have film on more players, but I guess also like, this film of a player going up against Central Arkansas help all that much? Maybe not. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, okay, so let's actually move on then to this coming week, Georgia Tech. Uh, you and I both watched a long highlight, uh, which is like 30-minute highlight, of, uh, of Georgia Tech's most recent game to try to get a sense of kind of what they look like. Um, they are... <laughs> For anyone who you know is still thinking back to NCAA football days uh, on the Xbox, they are not a triple option team anymore. Uh, they they operate out of the shotgun RPO spread kind of offense that is typical in modern college football. But offensively, they're really one dimensional, uh, or at least. I think they are. I'm interested in, in your thoughts uh, on what you saw, because I know you watched it as well. But uh, their quarterback is named Jeff Sims um, and is more of a threat to run than pass, in spite of the fact that they are, you know, running out of the shotgun. Um, he has struggled 
through two games um, and, you know, is uh, having having trouble in general. I, I think that Georgia Tech is not going to be super easy or something like that, but I think after watching that film, I was a little bit less concerned uh, about them overall. They they beat Western Carolina 35-17, to 17, uh, but again, like Jeff Sims was... 8 for 17 for 100 yards and a pick. Uh, he had 8 carries for 48 yards. But, you know, if you're struggling against West Carolina, Western Carolina, then I think that the passing defense Ole Miss puts forth is going to be a nightmare. Absolutely. I This is why I'm not a, a football analyst. Um, I was watching these two teams play and just like trying to figure out where their talent level stood relative to Ole Miss, because a lot of what they were doing on offense made me think like, Oh man, we might struggle against that. But then I realized like, "Mm, not actually. Uh, (laughs) I I think that, you know, like you said, Sims was operating against a a less talented defense and still not really lighting it up. Um, he's able to dink and dunk it around, which if you're a running quarterback, I'd be more afraid if you had a good deep ball, you know, exactly. uh, but it doesn't really appear that that's the case. And I think facing, you know, six defensive backs with a couple of good pass rushers, uh, like he will in Ole Miss, that's, that's not going to be a good combination for him at all. Um, so you think we'll have a lot of success there. Um, they're starting running back, um, what is his name? Dante Smith. I think he looked like a guy who might give us a little bit more of a fit than, than Sims. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that he is somebody they'll have to account for. Um, yeah, but you... look so, so far the defense, they are, let's see, 29th in pass efficiency defense and they are tied for 12th in rushing yards per carry allowed again the opponents have been bad but you know those are pretty solid and with the way that the defense played down the stretch last season until they prove us wrong we sort of have to assume that they're going to continue to be pretty strong and if georgia tech has to be one-dimensional i just don't see how that works out for them yeah absolutely um, they, they appear to have, you know, some, some athletes at receiver too, but I don't think in a way that is going to be a threat to a decent SEC defense. So, yeah, I think it's really going to come down to more of Ole Miss's offensive execution, whether we can, uh, limit turnovers, whether we can string drives together without mistakes, whether the offensive line is going to run block against P5 teams, um, things like that. Yeah, and Georgia Tech, their defense is not great, but it's average-ish. Um, they're, they've played Clemson and Western Carolina, so what do we know about either of those teams, really? Like, Clemson could be really good, but also could be not good like they were last year. Uh, at, at times, I know they finished with a good record but like come on um but uh georgia tech's past pass efficiency defense is 85th in the country and their uh rushing yards per carry allowed is 55th 
Um, so, you know, not lighting it up. But not something that should be taken lightly, especially with the way that our offense has struggled, especially in the past game uh, recently out of the gate. Um, yeah. Something. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Something briefly I, I read about about Georgia Tech was that they had a secondary that had you know caused a fair number of turnovers. And watching that Western Carolina game, there were three interceptions, I think, and all of them were. Man, let me knock on all the wood, but I don't think even our young quarterbacks are, are capable of those kind of interceptions. Like they were pretty dumb and and bad. <laughs> yeah, it also seems like Western Carolina found its most success uh, passing the game, passing the ball, uh, in the like flats and uh, short to intermediate passing game, um, which is sort of by design because Georgia Tech was taking a similar approach to the Ole Miss defense, not like. Uh, schematically, like they weren't running a three-two-six, but they were definitely playing a defense to keep the plays in front of them and make Western Carolina try to get all the way down the field with with short short gains, and that didn't really work. So, um, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how if Jackson Dart is the starter, which you have to assume so, especially with uh, any level of injury to Luke Altmaier. Um, how he's able to adjust his game to take advantage of what is what is being given to him underneath and not go for the deep ball every time that he wants to throw. Uh, okay, so we'll we'll close with this. Uh, heading into this season, before the Troy game, before the season opener, we did a season prediction, which was if you had to say win or loss in each uh, in each game, which of course is a terrible metric and terrible way to like approach a season prediction, but that's what we did. Uh, then, you know, what would your overall season prediction be? And I think mine was nine and three and yours was 10 and two. Is that right? It was. Yeah. So has yours changed? It has. Um, I'm going to lower it to nine for now, but it's on the border of, of eight. I think the offensive offensive line and quarterback play really has, has limited what I think is our seedling at this point. Yeah, so mine was nine, and I would lower it to eight. Uh, I'm I'm not on the on the border, but I think Kentucky will probably beat Ole Miss. Alabama will probably beat Ole Miss. Arcan uh, Alabama will beat Ole Miss. Arkansas will beat Ole Miss. Uh, and then, sort of allowing for a weird game just based on not having experience at quarterback and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, one thing that helps me keep my prediction at nine games is Texas A&M looking particularly bad. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I know App State is, you know, an experienced team. It doesn't matter. Player. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was like watching that entire game. It was like, where is Texas A&M's talent? Like, where are the guys who are supposed to be good on this team? Their offense is so boring to watch. It Gosh. <laughs> They're very bad. So, you know, while while that was a game where I struggled to pick Ole Miss to win, but ultimately did, I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll probably beat A&M. I mean, I could be wrong. They're, they're yeah. on paper more talented, but I can't see it at all. So, Well, also, like, everybody was like, oh, well, they're probably going to make a, a move at the quarterback position. Like, that's not the problem. No. The quarterback position is not the problem. It's not great, but, like, the offense is archaic and just, like, watching paint dry. Um yeah, I, I, I think that 
also, look, A&M just lost to App State, and it's not going to get easy. Um, they're playing Miami this week and then Arkansas the next. Like, they could just throw in the towel. Their, their players could just be like, hey, like, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I'm just going to, uh, you know, play it out but not really be passionate. And then they'll have to fire Jimbo Fisher while owing him $95 million. That's not an exaggeration. Um, yeah, fun stuff. Fun stuff for A&M to have to sort through. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that the, that the guy who completely tanked Florida State's program and, and killed their culture could do the same thing to Texas A&M? I kind of think it is very possible because yeah, I think... Yeah, it's I weird to think about how maybe that guy doesn't deserve like $9 million a year for 10 years. Yeah, that's like him being considered a top coach in college football instead of a guy who can convince boosters to give players a lot of money to come there is a really confounding thing to me. I always have thought that he's very mediocre, even, you know, when he's taking Florida state to, you know, big bowl games. I just, I never saw it. Uh, yeah. Did A&M know, just like, like that, but. did A&M pay a ton of money to like Gene Chizik? Because that kind of is what it seems. What it seems like. I mean, I know that Jim Chizik is a defensive guy, and Jimbo Fisher is an offensive guy. Like, I, I'm not saying they're the same person, but like, hey, he had good players for a while, uh, succeeded in that way, uh, you know, with Jameis Winston, whereas Chizik had Cam Newton, uh, and then suddenly he's like this great coach who's maybe not actually great, and uh, yeah, they're they're reaping their rewards. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. That that team is going to have some quit in them once they continue <laughs> losing the teams that uh, don't have as much talent, don't have as, as much hype. Yeah. Okay, well, that's going to do it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining, and we will talk to you again next week. Peace out, everybody. <laughs>